Lesson 13 now on Real Church is our last lesson. And we'll finish it probably next week. And then after that, we're going to go ahead and start a new set of lessons, making homework. So I hope that uh, you're thinking about that and hopefully uh, uh, make it a matter of prayer. I was reading through the materials, and it's really good stuff. So I feel the Lord's going to use it in our church, in our individual life, and as a family. It will help us uh, to know what God wants. As uh, some of us have little children and others uh, are married and some are might be entering into marriage, uh, it'll be a good uh, set of lessons. For those that uh, maybe have raised children, it'll be a reminder or a, a cause for you to think on us that are raising children and you can be a help to us in the church, all right? So uh, good morning to all of us and let's turn our Bibles now to Acts chapter number 20. Acts chapter number 20 and verse number 17 will stay there and all the way to verse number 24. So real faithfulness. We come to this lesson, uh, real faithfulness, all right? Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning and we're asking that uh, you would guide us and help us to uh, have our hearts ready, Lord, to, to hear your word. And Lord, uh, break up the fallow ground. Lord, if there's any in our heart, Lord, a hardened heart, I pray that you would uh, soften us up. Lord, that maybe the cares of this life has given us uh, maybe uh, some things and concern that we think about. Lord, I pray that we'd give that over to you. Lord, I pray that uh, you truly will be our haven of rest. Lord, I pray that you'd help me, uh, guide me, guide my mind and guide my heart and help me as I speak on this topic, Lord, real faithfulness. Lord, thank you that you are the great faithful God. And Lord, you could enable us as your children to be faithful and remain faithful. And Lord, I pray as we look at some things in Paul's life and a little bit of a truth and a little bit of a principle we can get out of his life, we can apply it to ours. And so that we can see ourselves, as Paul said, he has finished his course. Lord, he kept the faith. Lord, bless us uh, this morning as we start this lesson. And Lord, uh, give us uh, a good, good Sunday school hour now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Now, the book of Acts, uh, we see the church planning ministry of the Apostle Paul. And then you see later all his epistle to these particular churches. But uh, it's a book of action, a lot of different things happening. Thus, the word Acts is things uh, that are being done. And obviously, the Holy Ghost... It started this in the very first chapter, the introduction of the Holy Ghost. Now, I believe in John chapter number 20, he has already, God has already given the disciples the Holy Ghost, but he was not manifested uh, in a a public setting, not until that upper room with 120 disciples. And uh, God used uh, that time to really manifest, to show himself strong uh, for the first time, the Holy Ghost indwelt an individual, all right? In the, New Ta- in the Old Testament, the Holy Ghost did not dwell individuals. He comes and goes. Now, he stayed with some of them a while. He stayed, in fact, most of their life. I think of Joseph and I think of David. Uh, the Bible talks about that the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God came upon them and, uh, and so forth. But we see here uh, that 
really this is the act of the Holy Ghost, but uh, we know the principle of how God does it. To reach souls, he uses us, right? We just went through our missions uh, conference uh, a month ago, and we see that God uses individuals, families, uh, to go out and reach the world, and the Holy Ghost, God, partners with them to get the job done, okay? And so we see that this in this book. It's an action-packed book. If you want to read about amazing things, uh, you can read in the book of Acts. Now, be careful. A lot of people, uh, if they're not careful, they'll get some doctrines wrong in the book of Acts, all right? And so you have to use the other part of the New Testament, especially Paul and Epistle, to really uh, get you to proper doctrine. People get confused about speaking in tongues and different things if they base it on the book of Acts. So that's another topic on itself. But just giving you a view, a view uh, overview of the book of Acts, it's a fun book, all right? If you uh, haven't started reading your Bible, and maybe you wanted to, John is a good book. And I would say if you want action-packed uh, stories, you can go to the book of Acts, okay? And that will help you. Just be careful with the doctrine that you come out of there, all right? And compare it with the rest of Scripture. Uh, we see that uh, Paul and his uh, plant, church planting ministry is, is, is shown to us here in this book. Uh, he uh, preached the gospel. Uh, how did he do it? He just simply preached the gospel. He went to places uh, where God led him. And he, what did he do first? He preached the gospel. And then as people get saved, he gathered them up and discipled them. All right, discipled new believers. And then after that, if you have saved believers in a particular local area, uh, the idea that we believe in this idea of the local New Testament church, that means you, you build a local church in that particular area, okay? And uh, Pastor Cole kind of, uh, that's his vision about starting churches. And as uh, we, as a church, have partnered with him as our former pastor in that vision. And uh, at this moment, the Lord is not leading me as a new pastor to start a church right away, uh, but it's not... It's not far from my mind as a missionary. I church planted, all right? And so in the Philippines, we, we left a work uh, that is thriving and is doing really well. They're in their building program, incredible uh, faith, uh, amazing what they're doing there in Cebu. And in that place, uh, there's two other churches that sprung out because men were called out of that congregation and started churches in a local area that's different from their home church. And so... Uh, it's part of my DNA to start churches, all right? If the Lord leads us here, I might do it a little bit different than Pastor Cole because I'm a different person, all right? And uh, there's no one way to start a local church in the sense of that uh, I'm not saying there's multiple different ways, but at the same time, God uses a man in the way the man is built and capable of doing things. There's some liberties and doing some of those. The principle still remains the same. All of us that started churches did these things. What did we do? We went and preached the gospel. What did we do after people get saved? We take them deeper into the scripture. We talk about baptism, the first step of obedience. Then we told them to be a part of a local church. And then we talked about the Holy Ghost in their life. And then we kept going and giving them basic to start with, fundamental things of uh, being a Christian and discipling them. I encourage you, if you've never had anybody disciple you, may I say this, talk to me. 
talk to me. I don't care how long you've been saved. You should have had somebody disciple you. Don't leave it up to chance because it's so biblical. There's so many biblical truths here that men were discipled, all right? Very few that I find that were not, but most of them, if not all of them, someone discipled them. Somebody brought them along, okay? And if you have been discipled and you're not discipling anybody, I ask you why. Why are you not discipling anyone? That should be a question to be asked. That's not a, 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 an opinion I have. That's a Bible truth. Why are you not discipling anybody? All right? Ask the Lord. Ask the Lord. If we're sincere in our hearts, uh, if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Would you not think he would hear us if he told us that we teach the gospel and people get saved and the next step is discipleship? Would you not think that's according to his will? Class? That's not a rhetorical question. You can say, yes, sir, or yes, pastor. That's true. That's according to scripture. Can I do it again? I'll ask you one more time. Is it not according to God's will for us as Christians, once we've grown in Christ, we are to disciple others? Is that not a biblical truth? All right, and I can ask you the question, why are you not doing it? Why am I not doing it? Correct? It's personal. Why? Because we got saved personally. Jesus saved me personally. We can't stop in salvation. We can't say, well, salvation is personal, but everything after that is not. No, no, no. That breaks principle. That breaks the principle of God. If God saved you personally, he's going to find a way to disciple you in a personal way, and he's going to bring somebody along your side to help you. And then after that, it's your turn to bring what God has given to you to disciple somebody else, all right? The things that I know today, at some point or another, I heard it by God through his word and through somebody else's mouth. The things that I know today as a Christian, I heard it through God's word, and oftentimes, if not always, he'll use an individual to teach me those truths. And so may I encourage us uh, uh, to challenge ourselves, all right? I'm not going to guilt trip you, but I'm going to get you according to what the Bible says. We need to find disciples. We need to disciple people. We need to get praying and God giving us open doors to witness. And then after that, if somebody gets saved, discipleship comes. Okay? I'm discipling right now somebody on Wednesday. Every Wednesday, they come to my office, and we are going through some form of discipleship. Okay? They got saved during the time that I've been here in the church. They've been baptized. Uh, Pastor, why are you saying this? Because this is biblical. This is biblical. This is what God wants us to do. And then after a while, uh, after you see new believers get saved, they need to have a local church. And thus we establish a local church. He was, con- he was careful to continue investing himself in the churches he had planted through the epistle he wrote and to visit the churches as he could. All right, He traveled uh, as a missionary and going place to place but he remained connected to the people that God helped him get saved, get baptized, and get established in a local church by writing epistles. And we read them today. 
we read his epistle, at one point they were very, very dear letters to an actual church, all right? A bunch of individuals that went to that local church. He maintained a mentoring relationship with the church leaders that he had trained. And I don't do a good job, but as of late, uh, Pastor Elburn has been talking to me via text on the phone. On, uh, on, 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 uh, we're very busy, but he connected with me and we're connecting with them. And what is they're doing? They're doing stewardship month this month at the church at, at North Cebu. And so what he asked, pray. Why? Because they watch what we're doing here. They rejoiced with us when they saw what God did for us in our commitment. And so that encouraged him, and he said, pray for us, because we're going to do the same thing here this month. Okay? And so that how, that how that happened? Okay. He asked the leaders of the church at Ephesus to meet him on his way back to Jerusalem. This is the context of Acts chapter number 20. All right? Paul transparent, uh, uh, transparently challenged these men on a, on one of the most important correct, uh, characteristic of authentic church life. And he's going to talk about it, and we're going to look at it, and that is faithfulness. So he challenged them. He wanted to meet with them and say, I'm going to give you some truth, and I'm going to tell you about being faithful. All right? From the pastor to every church member, faithfulness is vital to experiencing God's continued blessing. Continued blessing. Uh Christianity is a life lived, all right? It's a life lived. It's not something that uh, we do occasionally and then we break off of it and do other things and then come back to it. It's a life lived. It becomes our identity. It becomes who we are anywhere and everywhere we go, all right? And so faithfulness is key for God's continued blessing. Malachi 3.6 is in your notes there. For I am the Lord, I change not. All right, therefore ye, sons of Jacob, are not consumed. So we find that word there that Jesus said, I, uh, the Lord says, I change not. Look at Lamentation on your notes, 3 and verse 22 to 23. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. And we'll find that God's faithfulness is all we need for us to remain faithful ourselves. We have to hook into, plug into that faithfulness he has, and so that we can find ourselves remaining faithful. Now there was a, a writer of a song, we sing it all the time, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. His name was Robert Robinson. He was saved through the ministry of George Whitfield in England. Shortly after his salvation, he wrote the beautiful hymn, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. Over the years, Robinson drifted from the Lord. One day, while sitting in a stagecoach, the lady next to him was reading the poem which he had penned, not knowing that he was the author. She told him she had read some beautiful verses and read them aloud to him. In fact, she read the words, Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave, the God I love. Those words touched Robinson's wandering heart. Bursting into tears, he replied, Madam, I am the poor unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them to enjoy the feelings I had then. 
The woman was greatly surprised, but she assured Robinson that he only had to return to the Lord now, and he would be forgiven. Robinson followed her advice and once again enjoyed full fellowship with his Savior. Uh, In all honesty, we need God's strength and his Holy Ghost to help us to be faithful in the Christian life. It is not something we do on our own and with our own ability and strength. It has to be drawn from he that is greatly uh, uh, powerful and that he being faithful. Look at what Paul stated in, uh, in Acts chapter number 20. We'll read verse 22 here in a little bit in your notes. But look at these phrases he said as we read it later here. This quote, none of these things moved me. Paul said that. And let's read now uh, verse number 22 of Acts chapter number 20. Verse number 22. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. Save that the Holy Ghost witnessing in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. But none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And that's the spirit Paul had. If we are to finish our race faithfully, we too will need to make a decision that no suffering and no setback will deter us from being faithful to the Lord. And they're coming. They're coming. All right? If you haven't experienced setbacks and you haven't feel opposition and you haven't feel adversary uh, or uh, uh, adversary, I should say, it feels like somebody uh, is against you, it's coming. All right? In this lesson, we will notice three characteristics of Paul's life that kept him faithful. All right? Three things that help us to grow and to serve faithful in the local church. And we'll go right again on Romans number one. And so in your note, the blank there is compassion. He was bound by compassion. Bound by compassion. Compassion and him were like a marriage. They could not be separated. He was bound by compassion. Paul's record of his ministry to the church at Ephesus was one of compassion. And look at it again here on verse number 20 now of Acts 20. We read 22. Let's look at Acts chapter number 20 again in verse number 20. And now I kept back nothing. Have you been keeping back? Because you're afraid of being hurt. And I'll be honest, sometimes I advise people to keep back. Because I'm afraid they're going to get hurt. There's a lot of things in scripture that talks about this. People oppose themselves. So they're their worst enemy. And you come along to remind them that they're in a place that's not good for them. And they don't see it. And you're going to go in there because you have a compassionate heart. And you love them and you're seeing the destruction that this particular sin is doing in their life. And you're going to address it in way of maybe admonishing them, warning them, or it could be coming across because you love them, uh, maybe a reproof 
You're telling them, this is wrong. You're passionate about it. I don't want you to go and do this. And then they retaliate. They look at you and say, shut up. Mind your own business. Get off my back. And Paul said things like this in his word. He said, the more I love you, the less I be loved. Do you hate me? Have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And so a lot of times Christianity cowers from truth. Because we have to admit this, truth, when it is spoken, it hurts. Truth spoken hurts. I don't care what it comes from in a heart of love or not. When it's spoken and conviction comes from the Holy Ghost, it is not comfortable. And nobody wants to be, especially Americans, in no way do we want to be uncomfortable. Have you noticed some of your lazy boys lately? Man, we have come a long way, haven't we? It's heated. It's got vibration in it for massage. It's got lumbar support. It's only by a push button convenient. You could even, pretty soon, we just have to talk to the chair and say, hey, come over here. I'm sin- I need to sit down. And in all of that convenient, we oppose it when a preacher says, get rid of some of those easy things of life so you can be a soldier and toughen up a little bit so you can actually reach somebody. How many times Jesus illustrated that to us? He came to his own and his own received him not, rejected him. Did he come to hurt them? Did he come to manipulate something out of them? Did he come to deceive them? Did he, did he come to hurt? Well, they thought that. Some of the Pharisees had ego problem, and they were jealous of him. Why is he getting so much fame? And that was not what God was after. Jesus was never after that. He was after the true need of every man. And that is... We are our own worst enemy. And sometimes we're blind to that. And when somebody comes along and gives us truth, we react almost violently. Guys, you are blessed if you have done anything that you know is wrong and then somehow it is addressed in the pulpit or it's addressed in your Bible reading, or somebody comes along and reminds you of God's word, you are 100%, 200% blessed. That's That your God in heaven, as much as you don't like being corrected, he's going to come along, and he's going to impress somebody's heart, and they're going to about to have their head cut off, or their hands chopped off, because they're reaching in love, but you don't see it, And you're going to bite it off. And so I'm asking you, Christian. I'm not asking you something easy. I'm I'm asking you something hard. Because your Jesus that you love did it for you. And he's asking, can I use you in this extension of that same love to reach somebody else? And be ready. Because they're going to bite your hands. Is it that's happened all the time? No. Well, let's be real about it. No. At times when you reach out and help somebody, you'll be surprised. They're probably wanting it. 
And God's going to use you to help them get onto the next level of their, of, their, of their faith. And you can have a partner to reach other people. But why am I hitting this area? Because this is the hardest part of it. This is the hardest part of it. This is when we stop. This is when I hear people burnt out of their ministry. This is when they say, I'm done. I quit. This is it. This is the areas that that happens. When your good is evil spoken of, when your good intention is misunderstood as judgmental, is when your compassion is rejected and say, I don't want you. That's when we say, I'm done. I'm walking away. Well, my God didn't do that for me. Hallelujah, praise be his name. My Jesus didn't do that for me. My Jesus kept after me and kept after me and kept after me and brought people in my life after people, after people, after people. Until I surrender and say, you know what? He truly loves me. I'm just going to surrender. And now I'm pastoring you. Who would have thought that? Who would, have thought, who would have thought that? Now I'm in the ministry. How did I find myself there? There was a lot of me struggling within myself and saying, do I really want to get hurt? Or do I just want to, I want to go to Walmart maybe and put me in the back. And no offense to any of these people that like doing this way. But uh, when everybody goes to bed, I can just stack shelves. And I would like to have all the gallon uh, facing the levels right. And that's what I would like to have done. And don't worry about anybody else. And just hide from the problems. And here I am, your pastor. Man, amazing what God can do. And he needs more of us to speak the truth. In love now, in love. You have to be honest, it has to be in love. But they're not going to receive it in love sometimes. And Paul said this, I might become your enemy. Listen to the truth, he said. I might become your enemy because I tell you the truth. Let me ask this. Are you ready for somebody to really give you something that really is for real, that can really help you? Until you're ready, you cannot be helped. Until you realize that you need it, and then you're willing to want it, it might not come. And when it finally arrives at your doorstep, it's not going to be effective if you meet it with pride. You should meet it with humility and say, let me just take it. Let me just take it. He said, and how I kept nothing back. I kept back nothing, I should say, that was profitable for me. That was profitable unto you. But I've showed you and I've taught you publicly from house to house. Testifying both to the Jews, he had no prejudice. During this time, there was prejudice. He had no prejudice. Testifying both to the Jews and also the Greeks. Repentance toward God and faith. Toward our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. Now we we commend Paul for this. But he didn't write this to be braggadocious. 
He didn't write this because he was the only one that's able to do this. He wrote these in the scriptures for our example. We can do and we can have what Paul has. Stop listening to the devil and stop listening to his lies to you that you don't amount to anything and you're always going to be defeated. Don't listen to that. Because greater is he that is in you. I'm preaching my Sunday morning service. All right, let's go. Letter A. He was burdened for people. It would be good for you. You don't have to do it publicly if you don't want to. It would be good for you to feel burdened about somebody's condition. Maybe your neighbors. Maybe some loved one you have. Maybe your children. It would be good for you at times to shed some tears. Paul saw people not as an irritation. Man, I am so guilty. Whew! That's a, that's a guilty, <laughs> that's a convicting statement. I highlighted like a bunch of times. Paul saw people not as irritations. Let me tell you the truth. Because it's not going to make it easy, but I'm just going to tell it to you. They are irritations. Just me saying that, well, if I look at them not as an irritation, no, 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 no. That's not the point. The point is they're an irritation. Because sin bothers. And sin destroys. It's going to be a bad situation. And so Paul decided supernaturally by the grace of God and the Holy Ghost That he's not going to focus on the irritation they're bringing. But he's going to look at the potential of God's power that can change a life. And he has to trust God. And he has to do it. He has to do it. He has to do it. If we want to be impactful, if we want to be influential, if we want to see lives change, we have to believe this truth. God can change anyone. We have to believe it. I wouldn't be preaching here. Year in, year out, if I don't believe that, eventually I'm going to say, guys, I'm done. I'm walking away. I'm just pretending I believe this stuff. I'm gone. It's not working. You have to get that out. You have to get that out. We have to believe that God can do amazing work in people's lives. We have to believe that God can change the wild man. That God can change the broken spirit, the the, the fearful. We have to believe that God can do that. We have to believe that. Ma- Matthew 9, 36. But when he saw the multitude, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted, quit. Faint means to quit. And because they fainted and were scattered abroad, a sheep having no shepherd. Acts 18.5. And when Silas and Timotheus were come from Macedonia, Paul was pressed in the spirit. Pressed in the spirit. He had pressure. And testify of the Jews that Jesus was Christ. When something is in your heart, be it a burden or a victory, you want to tell other people about it. When something is in your heart, be it a burden or a victory, you want to tell other people about it. 
And how can we bear one another's burdens if we have no access to one another? And we don't provide the bridge for people to access us for help. And our line is cut off. They can't get a hold of us. How in the world are we to fulfill that Christian teaching of bearing one another's burden? Now, mind you, the Bible says you have to bear your own burden. That's just being responsible. All of us need to be responsible individually. We all have to account for what we do before God. But then there's a teaching that then tells us not only are we accountable for our own burden, let's also now help somebody else bear their burden. And maybe by helping them bear their burden, somebody will come alongside of us and say, hey, I don't want to give you a problem, brother, but I want to help you bear some of your burdens. And if you have people like that in your life, you do something for them, maybe nice. Do something nice for them. Let them know. Let them, let them know that uh, you appreciate them. Let them know you appreciate them. Communication is so key. Because if you don't communicate, misunderstanding is going to happen. And they're going to judge the situation wrong. And if you hide yourself, then how in the world can anybody guess it right? I'm not a mind reader. As a pastor, how am I going to help you if I don't know? And you're presenting to me a a situation that's not real. I'm never going to judge it right. Just like if you have a husband and you're presenting to your husband a scenario that is not for real, how in the world can he ever... Assess the problem. Husband, and with your wife and your children, it has to break down to be honest with one another and to find trust in one another. And that's not going to come by osmosis. You have to try. You have to build trust and respect with people so that you could help them and then you can be helped by them. Pastor Chris, you don't play around. No, I'm not playing around with Christianity, guys. I try to live what I'm teaching you and preaching to you. I believe this stuff. I really do. And it really works if you apply it. We have to get to the level where at times we feel we're vulnerable. And, and it's uncomfortable, absolutely uncomfortable. But that's how we're going to get helped. That's how we're going to get helped. We counter people every day who do not know the Lord, but do we carry a burden in our spirit for their eternal destiny? Man, that's another convicting statement and question. Do we care enough for them that we are pressed, we are pressured by this burden? Do we care enough for them that we are pressed to speak for the Lord and share the gospel with them? Letter B. He was bound to witness. We're talking about we are bound by compassion. We see in letter A, he was burdened for people, P-E-P-L-E, P-E-O-P-L-E there. Then B, he was bound to witness, W-I-T-N-E-S-S. Paul's burden bound him to faithful witness. Paul's burden bound him to faithful witness. The phrase in verse 22, you find it there. I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. It's combined 
to me, you could look at it two different ways. It could be Paul's strong desire within himself. It's a, it's a, it's a, a lower, lowercase s. So it's talking about his attitude and his demeanor and his spirit. But as I know Paul, he was moved by the Holy Ghost. And so in this particular passage, I know I'm not going to argue it with you, but it says on verse number 23, all right? It says, verse 22, he said, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem. But look at verse 23. Save that the Holy Ghost witnessing in every church. He understands the power of the Holy Ghost. I believe the Holy Ghost and him were in the same heart and the same desire. And so we see that, that he said that, that I'm bound in the spirit. When the Holy Spirit has his way in a life, he will develop compassion and an urgency for witnessing of Christ. John 15, 26. But when the Comforter is come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. And if that Holy Ghost lives inside you as a Christian, guess what? At one point or another, he's going to be seen and he's going to be heard. Paul shared the gospel both publicly and from house to house. He was faithful and fervent in creating opportunities to tell others about salvation through Christ. There was a funny situation. A couple of guys went soul winning, and uh, a lady met them at the door, and the lady didn't want nothing to do with it, and so said, get out of here, and slammed the door at them. And the door didn't shut. It opened back up. And the, and the fellows are there just watching this. And she proceeded to do it again one more time, slam the door as hard as she could, and the door didn't slam. And she did it the third time. And finally, uh, this is a good example of somebody opposing themselves. Finally, the, 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 the fellows are still there, and she's wondering, why are they still there? And, they, and she finally looked at them and said, why are they still here? Well, ma'am, it would be probably good if you take your cat in before you slammed the door for the fourth time. Because each time you did it, it hit the cat. All right? And sometimes uh, I can see in that little funny illustration how we are two people helping us. You know? We're so mad at ourselves and we don't even know why. And all somebody's saying is, if you fix this, it could help you. And if she was a little bit more welcome to that, maybe the cat would still be alive. No, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I was thinking maybe the cat would be gone. Paul's witness was often rejected. And guess what? Not all witnessing is eagerly received. He suffered deeply and frequently from the sharing the gospel. In spite of the pain and the persecution, there was something inside of Paul that wouldn't let him be silent. He believed his life was but a vapor and that he was constrained to use it to tell others about the Lord. With his heart and soul, soul, Paul wanted others to know Jesus. And there's no way I could deny that by his writings, by the way he lived his life. There's no way. That man was consumed with trying to reach people. He was. The Bible is the proof of it. For all eternity will know that Paul wanted to see people saved. You might not be written, your name might not be written in the Bible, but, but you would be along with Paul if today you say, God, I'm going to let you, Holy Ghost, 
work in my life, that I will be a witness by my life, by my words, and I will not deter, and I will not be deterred by sharing the gospel in those ways. It doesn't matter what I encounter in my life. It doesn't matter if they reject me or they're brutally against me. I'm going to do what I need to do to share the gospel. And I will not let that keep me quiet and silent. But I do understand as humans, okay, I'm talking as a human being now, after you've been rejected and hurt many, many times, I totally understand why you don't want to do it anymore. But if you don't do it, guess what? You remain defeated. You've lost, and now you remain defeated. So let God win with you and say, all right, I'm going to get my spirit straight. I'm going to pray over this. I'm going to come up with a plan that God will bless. I'm going to do it one more time. And it's still bad. You regroup, lick your wounds, and you say again, it's worth it. I'm just going to be crazy about it. I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to do it one more time. Bad thing happened again. One more time. Bad thing happened again. Well, God says 77 times, right? Sometimes it takes that much to forgive. Have you done it 77 times? Seven times seven? I don't know. I'm I'm messing up. 700 times seven? Look up the verse. (laughs) A genuine witness for Christ If you have true compassion in your heart, you will have genuine witness. Let me finish this and we're done. I thought I was going to finish two, two points, but I'm not. We have seen through this lesson that declaring the gospel message is a central mission of the local church. To be faithful, allow the Holy Spirit to develop a heart of compassion in you. And it's not osmosis. It has to be deliberate and it has to be on purpose. And it has to be you willing to God, for God to work. And like I said, again, if you ask for patience, he's going to give you a lot of problematic people. That's why I stopped writing on the prayer sheet there, patience. Not just kidding. I did write there, grace and mercy. It's the same thing. Same thing you're going to get. But guess what? I can do it because God will empower me to do it. And eventually, sharing the gospel with compassion will lead to seeing souls saved. But in that process, there's often suffering along the way. But hey, hey, hey! Some of us have testimonies and know people, and maybe in our own lives, that we didn't let up, and they didn't let up. And eventually, in the process of time, victory came. Souls did get saved. After 20 years of praying, souls get saved. So relish in those victories. And if God can do it for them and God can do it in your life then, he hasn't changed, he said, he can do it today. All right? All right, let's pray. Lord, help us in this idea of faithfulness. Help us to draw from your power and not our own. And help us to launch out into the deep and help us to love people. As your Bible says, help us to find time to be irritated. Help us to find time and prepare our hearts to be annoyed, to be ridiculed, 
to be even spoken of because we really want somebody to get rescued and we want somebody to change. And we're going to do what we can in our part. We're going to rely on your power to do the rest. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.